On this Mission Sunday, I want to talk to you about missions, but not about world missions. You know, missions is not just about going across the ocean, but it's about going across the street. Jesus told his disciples on one occasion, uh, let us go so I may preach to the nearby towns also. And uh, that's our call to not just world missions, but to home missions, as it were. And just like Jesus wanted and did go to preach to the nearby towns, we have to stay, uh, as in, stay at home and preach to our, our neighbors and nearby uh, friends and towns and communities. And so that's what I want to talk to you about, how we can do that today. And uh, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, today what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to go through the entire chapter. So uh, it'll be quick. We're not going to be here all day, but um, we are going to get through the entire chapter. So just kind of keep that chapter open, 1 Corinthians 9. I have a dream for our church, and you've heard me speak about this. It's really unchanged since we started it's a dream of a church that is consumed with reaching the lost. I have a dream of a church that knows how to present the gospel in terms that the unchurched understand. It's a dream of a church that doesn't allow walls to go up between us and people that are different than we are. People who live differently than we are. People who believe differently. People who are in a different political ideology, political uh, camp, uh, in, a, in a different camp in terms of lifestyle. We won't allow walls to go up between us. Uh, a, a dream of a church that is committed to reaching the lost and will not be distracted, even though there are a lot of distractions will not be stopped even though there are a lot of attacks from the enemy that want to stop the church, any church from moving forward. And so consequently, it's a dream that I have of a church that is reaching the lost, receiving new members, brand new Christians who are ready to grow and ready to learn how to reach others for Christ. And if that's your dream today, then you're in the right place. You're in the right place. But surprisingly, not all churches feel that way and not all church members feel that way. It's not hard for some church members to feel that they want their church to look a certain way. I want my church to look like a church with a sanctuary and all the trappings that come along with that. Or they, they want their churches to, or their church to conduct their services in a certain way with music that pleases them, with preaching that pleases them. You know, I've discovered that most of us like music. In fact, somebody just told me this recently, and I thought, well, I, I know that's true because this is the way it is for most of us. Somebody just told me recently, I, I like the music that we were singing in the church when I got saved. I was like, yeah, we all do. That's, we kind of, we, we like that music, and new music comes along. It's like, well, that's good, but I like this music. And so if we've been saved for 20 years, we like the music from 20 years ago or longer. And it's not hard to, to become that type of a church member where we want the, the church to conduct services in a, in a certain way with music and language and a, a type of service that, that pleases them and that 
makes them feel like this is my home. Or a church with ministries that are designed to meet their needs. I want somebody to meet my needs. I mean, I understand all that. That's not necessarily wrong, but that creates a little tension between do we set up a church that meets my needs, has ministries that I think we should have this ministry because this meets my need, because this is what I'm going through. And the tension between that and a church that is really focused on reaching the lost. And you might say, well, they're not, those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. And they're not, except that not every church can be everything to everybody. It's not possible. There's not a church that is everything to everybody. And so we have to understand what is our basic calling and our basic purpose as a church. So we need to be reminded, and what I want to see today through this chapter is what we are called to do fundamentally and what we all have to do. Because all the other desires that we have for, for what we think a church should be, that's all fine. I understand that feeling because, like I said, I get that too from time to time. But my prayer is that we would not lose our focus on the prize. What is the prize? What is the win for our church? What is the win for Solid Rock Church? Is it just to have multiple ministries? Uh, is it just to have a certain style of service? Uh, what is the win uh, the win for our church has to be reaching the lost. That's our win. Reaching the lost in our community and around the world. So as we look at this chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see what Paul can teach us, what we can learn from his life and his ministry. So we're going to begin with verse 1. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 reads like this. Am I not free... Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now what's going on here is that Paul is being criticized for what he is doing and how he is doing things for what he was doing as an, as, a, and as an apostle, how he was ministering. And he was facing fierce criticism. And this fierce criticism was coming from other Christians, from other people in the church. Isn't that amazing that many people in ministry, and I've certainly faced that. I'm not alone. You face it too. And it's not just pastors and people who lead churches, but people in the church that have a heart for ministry will face criticism from other church members, from other churches, from other Christians. Uh, we see that all the time. So that's not unusual. And he was facing some fierce criticism from other Christians. But as I was reading this chapter this week, the thought that came to my mind as I read this, I thought, wow, Paul just came out swinging in his defense. He just came out swinging. He didn't sit back and take the criticism, but he came back and he says, uh, oh yeah, well, here's why I do this. Here's why I do this. And, and he had this strong response to the judgment of other people on his ministry, on the way that he ministered. And he came out swinging because he had a compelling reason 
for what he was doing and how he was doing it. It was all part of his desire to reach his culture for Jesus Christ. And so I want us to learn from him. You know, sometimes we look at Paul and we think, well, Paul was some kind of super Christian. That's why he accomplished so much, because he was a, a super Christian, a super apostle. But that's not true. Paul was a, was a man. He was a mere human, just like, just like us. In fact, Haddon Robinson wrote this about him. Uh, he said, Paul was five foot seven inches tall. He had bad eyesight. And he bore on his body the marks of brutal persecution. Terrifying, harsh, demon-infested was the world in which Paul lived. We face obstacles. He did, he did yet more. His life ended in a dungeon in Rome. He was slain in Nero's persecution. And yet somehow with all the persecution, imprisonment, beatings, and disappointments, that little Jew... And a band of his followers made an imprint on the first century. In fact, changed the history of the world. In our day, we name our dogs after Nero, our sons after Paul. Well, he made an impact. By the way, anybody have a dog named, dog named Nero? If you get a new one, that's a good name for a dog. But he was, you know, what Haddon Robinson is saying, he was a mere human, but he had this huge impact. We're a mere church, but we can have a huge impact on our culture and our community if we learn what Paul learned and what Paul did. So let's look at some things here that we can do to, to make an impact as a church. How can we make an impact as a church? Here's what we learned from Paul. First of all, to make an impact as a church, we must be willing to give up our rights. We must be willing to give up our rights. And we find this in verse 3. Look at verse 3. We're in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 3. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me. Okay, so people were, were judging him. Who sit in judgment on me. He says in verse 4, Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? As do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living. All right, so, so Paul begins this portion by describing the rights that he as an apostle gave up for the sake of preaching the gospel. He says he gave up the right to food and drink. You know, in the previous chapter, he was writing about food and meat that was offered to idols. Now, Paul had no problem with food with meat that had been offered to idols because he knew what the issues were and he knew that an idol was nothing. And so to take food before an idol and to, to offer it up to the idol for his blessing meant nothing because it's like taking food up to a chair. You know, the chair is nothing, an idol is nothing. So it didn't bother him. But he also knew that there were other people who didn't know that, who hadn't allowed that or understood that, that truth. And so he said, look, it, if in some way my eating food that has been offered to idols were to get in the way of somebody else's faith who I'm trying to reach, or if it keeps them, if they're young Christians and keeps them from growing in their faith, and then I won't do it. I'll give up my right to eat what I want if it's going to affect others, if it's going to keep me from preaching the gospel. And then he says he gave up his right to be married. He says, don't we have a right to take along a believing wife as the others do and as... Um, 
you know, the apostles, the Lord's brother, and Cephas. So he, he gave up this right to be married. He gave it up, he's saying. He could have gotten married, but he, he gave up the delight, the joy of a marriage relationship, the delight and joy of sex and marriage. He gave up the companionship of a partner to share his life with, all for the sake of preaching the gospel and, and being dedicated to that cause. He says he gave up receiving a salary for the sake of the gospel. He gave up receiving money. Uh, in fact, he wants us to know that he had a right to be paid. He had a right to receive money from the Corinthians. And so he begins to pile on illustration upon illustration to make that point. For example, he says in verse 7, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Have you ever heard of anybody who was drafted? Not, we don't have a draft, okay. Heard anybody who, who joins the army and then they say, Okay, you've got to buy all your, all your clothes and all your weapons and ammunition, everything. Get you a place to live too, you know, because we cannot provide that for you. I mean, who, sold, who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Nobody. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its grapes? He writes in verse 7. Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? So he's telling them, look, I have a right to be paid. Then he, he gave illustrations for this from the law. In, in verse 9, he writes this. For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Verse 10, he says, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material, material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. He says, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, I have a right to be paid. I have a, have a right to be paid. If, if, if I'm serving, preaching the gospel, then I have a right to make a living from the gospel. But he says, but I gave up that right. So the next verse, verse 13, he, he gives an example from the temple. He's talking about how he gave up receiving a salary. And he's given us illustration after illustration to prove this point. That's why he said, man, he came out swinging here. So look at verse 13. He gives us an example from the temple. He says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? That those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Then he says, but I have not used any of these rights. He was totally committed to preaching the gospel that he gave up these rights. And let's face it, he was so committed to this and that's one of the reasons he had an impact. And let's face it, that the strength of any cause depends on the people that are committed to it. It depends on the self-sacrifice. If the cause is going to be successful, it's going to be strong, then the people that are committed to that cause have to be strong. And, and their, their self-sacrifice has to be evident. It depends on their dedication and whether they're willing to, to give up things for the cause. Only fanatics make a difference in the world. The lackadaisical, the apathetic, the indifferent, the unconcerned, they never make a dent. But fanatics make a difference, and Paul was a fanatic for the preaching of the gospel, giving up every right necessary that would get in his way in order to 
be able to preach the gospel with power and authority. In fact, I think we can summarize what, what he's written here in verse 12. Look again at verse 12. He says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Put up with anything. Have we gotten so far from this that we're not willing to put up with things that are uncomfortable or inconvenient rather than put up with anything rather than to hinder the gospel of Christ? Are you willing to put up with anything? Are you willing to give up your rights? That's the first thing we've got to learn to do if we want to make an impact as a church. Give up our rights or how we think this should be done or that should be done or this should look or that should look. Just be willing to say, God, I just want to reach the laws and I want that to be my focus. I want that to be my focus, to be what my life is about. Secondly, to, to make an impact as a church, we learn from Paul, we must be willing to give up our liberty. Paul says that for the sake of the gospel, he says, I not only gave up my rights, but I gave up my liberty. Look at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, you and I might say, hey, nobody tells me what to do. I'm not a slave to anybody. Paul says, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible for the sake of, of the gospel. I'll become a slave to anyone's philosophy. Oh, like, Pastor, that's, I have to draw the line there. That liberal ideology, I just can't stand that. That conservative philosophy, I can't stand that. Paul says, hey, I'll become a slave to any philosophy, to any person's way of thinking in order that they might be saved. When we're not willing to do that, we put up a wall between us and the people we need to reach just because we believe differently. He's, he's practicing a responsible relativity, uh, relativity. You know, normally we would say, you know, things aren't relative. There's truth and there's things that aren't truth. But that's not what we're saying here. Yeah, there's truth and there are things that are a lie. So when we say he's practicing a responsible relativity, we're not saying that he's giving up his belief in truth. He's just saying, look, I'm not going to change the message, but I'm willing to become a slave. I'm willing to to tear the walls down so I can reach those people that need to be saved. He wasn't changing the message. Whether he was in Jerusalem or, or Antioch or Ephesus or Corinth or Philippi, it didn't matter. It was always about Jesus. It was always about Christ and Christ crucified. It was always about the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross. But, but Paul knew this. Paul knew that people are shaped by their culture. That's a reality. People are shaped by their culture. They're shaped by their education, their background. They're shaped by their families, by their religion. And so Paul says, look, I have to adapt myself to every person's way of thinking in order that I can be positioned to preach to them, to preach the gospel with clarity. And so he spells it out. Look at verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. 
so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, do you, do you see the, the recurring theme here? He says, I become, to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like under the law to win those not having the, uh, who are under the law. To the weak, I become weak, weak to win the weak. I mean, it's all about winning the Jews, those that are under the law, that are not under the law, those that are weak. It's all about winning them. That's the focus of what he was doing. He knew the religion of the Jews. He grew up in it. And he knew that in order to win the Jews, he had to behave like a Jew. I mean, he didn't have to, but he, he did it for the sake of the gospel. To those under the law, he says, I became like those under the law. He knew he wasn't under the law of Moses. That's the old covenant. He knew we're in the new covenant. So that's what I say about when my kids say, well, uh, Dad, you let Karis get away with everything. Well, yeah, because... And we couldn't do those things when we were kids. Yeah, but you were under the old covenant. She's under the new covenant. You know, so. Remember that. And so he's saying, okay, those, are under the, the, those under the law, they're under the old covenant. I understand that. And I'm not there. But I identify with that. I'm not under the law. But if winning people under the law means that I observe their days and I observe their feast and other practices, then he says, I'll do it. I can be kosher, he was saying. I can be kosher. In order to win them. I'm not under the law. But I put myself under it. I give up my liberty. If by doing that I can win those who are under the law. Then he says to those not having the law. I become like one not having the law. When he was with the Greeks. He didn't bring all the Jewish baggage with him. In, in, in dealing with the Greeks. When he preached to them. When he preached to the Greeks. Who were not under the law. He didn't preach like he would preach to the Jews who were under the law. He preached differently. He started at a different place when he preached to the Greeks. Than when he preached to the Jews. He had different illustrations. He quoted different philosophers. He preached uh, in Athens differently than he would preach in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the Christians were. And Jews. Athens were the... You know, the Greek culture, it was steeped in the Greek, Greek philosophy. And he wasn't breaking Jewish law. He wasn't breaking any of Jesus' teachings. But he identified with those who didn't know the law and didn't know Jesus. And, and so then he says, and to the weak, I became as weak. To people with sensitive consciences. People who everything bothered them. You know, he wasn't about to go to those folks and knock them down. Say, what's the matter with you? Grow up. Well, he says, look, I'll, I'll adapt to your conscience. If... In doing that, I'm able to give you the gospel to win them uh, to the Lord. What Paul is saying here is this. He was saying, I will do anything short of sinning. Anything short of sinning to win someone to the Lord. That was his philosophy. That was his passion. That was his focus. Anything short of sinning to win men and women to Jesus Christ. So the question to us is, how far are we willing to go to win the lost? Are we more concerned with winning arguments than we are in winning the lost? Are you willing to give up your liberty? Does, is it that important that you'll give up your liberty to win people that need Jesus Christ? And then thirdly, we learn from Paul that to make an impact as a church, we must be willing 
to give it our all. Willing to give it our all. He says in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, and he's talking about the Olympic games here. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, what is a prize? You know, a lot of times we look at that and we say, oh, he's talking about getting to heaven. I want to make sure that I'm not disqualified from getting to heaven. No, look at the context. He's talking about preaching. He's talking about reaching the lost. His prize is the lost. He says, I don't want to be disqualified from, from, from being in a position to reach the lost, to preach to others. Now, the background here, as I said, behind what he is writing is the, the Greek games. There were the Olympic games. And actually, I said the Olympics. Uh, there were also the Corinthian games. There were several games that they had. Now, we live in a sports-obsessed society, right? How many of you watching the game tonight? Some of you might be watching that game. I don't think Anthony's watching it. I, I don't think he has a, any <laughs> desire to watch that game. We're in a sports-obsessed uh, society, but the Greeks did even more. Their society was even more obsessed with sports. In fact, they measured time in light of the games. We date our time backward and forward from the birth of Jesus. Uh, the Jews dated time from what they thought was the creation of the world. The Romans dated time from the mythical founding of Rome. But the Greeks measured time from the beginning of the games, the Olympic games. So it was huge. People would just flock to the games. The most noble citizens of the land were chosen to be judges. They sat on these thrones. They were small thrones. They sat on these thrones and they dressed in purple. They were the ones who started the contest. They are the ones who judged the winners of the contest. They are the ones who saw that the, the people who competed in, in the games competed according to the, the rules, didn't break any rules. They, they went through strict training. The athletes went to very strict training in gymnasia all over the, the, the land, all over Greece. They worked for nine months, at nine months of preparation of strict training in order to compete in the contest. Very hard training. In fact, the word gymnasium comes from the Greek word gymnast, which means naked. These people, these athletes competed in the nude. True. Now, because of that, the Jews had nothing to do with the games. They, they couldn't handle the nudity. I don't know that I could either. They suspected homosexuality among, among the athletes. So they were like, nothing to do with the games. They were followers of Christ. And, and, and we understand that, but, but Paul was not put off so much by that simply because he was so determined to reach the Greek world for Christ. It wasn't so much that, that it didn't bother him. That he, it wasn't so much that he agreed or he said it's okay that they do that. No, it wasn't okay 
But he was just so determined to reach the Greek world for Christ that he said, I've got to do this. It's so easy for us to look at our culture and say, oh, this really bothers me, the direction of the culture, I hate it. And we're just going to separate ourselves from that. Paul would have said, well, I understand that, but, but don't put up a wall that will keep you from reaching the people who, who need Christ. So Paul evidently admired the athletes for, for their accomplishments and their training. And I think probably what he admired the most was their dedication by what he, by what he writes here. Their dedication, the fact that they gave up everything in order to get ready to compete. And in, in, the, in the manner in which they competed, they competed to win. It wasn't enough to say, I made it to the games. Doesn't matter if I win or lose. I'm just glad that I'm here. No, they, they wanted to win the prize. And the prize, as you know, was a laurel crown. It's just a laurel crown. It, you know, it would fade. It would die. But along with that, they would write ballads in their honor. And singers would sing their praises. And that's what they wanted. So they would give up everything to get that prize. Now, what's... What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, that's the spirit that I bring into my ministry. That's why, why I do what I do and, and why I do it the way that I do it. I compete like one of those runners in the games. He's saying, if you see a runner running this race and he gets, it's this long race, he gets to those last hundred years. 100 yards and his face is flush, his body is straining. I mean, he's pushing, he, you know, he, he's trying to get to the finish line first. You see that spirit? You see that image? He says, that's what I'm doing. That's what I bring to my ministry. He's saying, I'm not like some overweight businessman running around the track trying to lose some weight, huffing and puffing, thinking i got to gain or lose some weight. No, I'm not like that. I'm like the guy who's in shape, who's working hard, who's pushing himself that's what I bring to the ministry. I'm not trying to, to just lose a few pounds here and there. I'm trying to win. My spirit, he's saying, is, is that of the boxer in the ring who's taking punches, giving punches, determined to get the knockout in order to win the prize. That's what I'm doing. He says, not, not shadow boxing, but I'm actually in the ring. I'm fighting. I give myself to ministry the way that these athletes give themselves to training and to winning the prize. That's a passion. That's a spirit that I bring to my ministry. Like that of a Greek athlete. They run to win. And I am preaching. I am ministering to win. But not some prize that will fade. But to win the loss. That's my prize. That's the win for us. To reach the lost. Not to have church. But to reach the lost. So the question to us is, are we giving our all to this endeavor? Are you giving it your all in this church? Are you running to win the prizes, the laws, to win the laws? Are you giving it your all as a church member or as a regular attender? Is your greatest desire to reach your friends and your family members for Christ? Do you understand what's at stake here? Do you understand what you lose when you stay away from church because you lose uh, the, the sight of the prize? You lose uh, the vision of what we're trying to do. How badly do you want this and how hard are you working at it? Are you giving it your all to reach the lost? Remember what I said earlier that the strength of any cause depends on the people committed to it. 
Well, that's true of churches, and you probably made that connection yourself, that the strength of any church depends on the people committed to it. The strength of any church depends on the people committed to it because a church is people. It's not a building. We've got to be willing to give up our rights and our liberty, and we've got to be willing to give it our all. That's how we make an impact. That's how we make a difference. That's how we become a church that is actually making a difference, making an impact, and not a church that's just hidden away, tucked away in the corner of our community. I don't think that's what God called us to do. He called us to be willing to do anything and to put up with anything, as Paul said, in order to save some. Can you imagine, can you imagine what kind of a church we would be if we all felt like Paul? If we had the same passion for reaching the lost. If we all acted like Paul in order to win the lost. We wouldn't worry about traditions. We wouldn't worry about optics, how it looks. That we minister a certain way or meet in a school cafeteria rather than church. We wouldn't worry about optics, about how it looks. We'd just be driven to reach people for Christ. Driven to reach one more for Jesus. Always one more for Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So imagine for a moment a church who believes that. Imagine men in the church who believe that. Women in the church, entire families who believe we're called to reach the lost and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to take that spirit, that passion of, of the athletes like Paul did. I'm going to let that be my spirit. I'm going to give it my all. And I'm, I'm not going to wait until oh, we have a special event. I can invite people or we have a special focus uh, of, of evangelism. But my life is going to be about winning the lost. That's what we're called to do.